0: Welcome to the latest episode of the TES Scotland Podcast. I'm Henry Hepburn, News Editor at TES Scotland, and I'm here with senior reporter Emma Seath. Hello. Our guest today is Khadija Mohammed, a senior lecturer at the University of the West of Scotland, who's credited with making a huge difference to the work of black and minority ethnic educators across Scotland. Minority ethnic people are vastly underrepresented in education, something Khadija wants to change. A former primary teacher who now works with student teachers, she also wants to change attitude in schools, among staff as well as pupils. She's a former vice chair of the Scottish Trade Union Congress Black Workers Committee and co-convenes the Anti-Racist Subcommittee for the EIS Union and is also working towards a PhD. Khadija wrote recently, our schools have become more diverse and yet we still find that even the most well-intentioned teachers feel unprepared to deal with issues related to race. There's often a complacency or perhaps a nervousness to discuss race for fear of being politically incorrect or more seriously, there's a reluctance to challenge one's own underlying negative assumptions. Khadija, welcome to the Tes Scotland podcast.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: We're going to start off with a six million dollar question: <laughs> Why aren't there more black and minority ethnic teachers in Scotland?
1: Um, yes, that's a that's a big question. Um, gosh, so there are a number of, uh, of ways of looking at it. For me, essentially, I think we need to look at the current existing workforce um, and the conditions in which they exist. Uh, in terms of black teachers. So um, we know that Robina, Asha many years ago did a, a piece of research where they were interviewing young BME pupils from schools in Scotland and when asked uh, questions like, would you think about teaching as a career? They say, oh no, you've got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, do we see the way other staff members are being treated. So we have to start at that point where When um, we don't see that diversity in front of us, and it's back to that sort of, it's become a famous phrase that Robina has kind of coined about, you know, you can't be what you can't Mm -hmm.
0: see.
1: So children don't aspire to that role. Um, And those who are quite astute and savvy can often sometimes see the way teachers that they do have in their schools who are BME can often be uh, subjected to be racial undertones know by, by sometimes fellow colleagues how does um, that
2: manifest itself should we tease that out a wee bit more you know just to sort of so that people can kind of you know sort of understand you know so, so how do you think how does that look you know what would be some examples you know sort of of the kinds of things that they would maybe see happening to their teachers where they would sort of mm-hmm. even subconsciously yeah. sort of think
1: I'd rather not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I can give you a a perfect example of, so this is probably taken from secondary school. um, And um, so you have um, language teachers. So if you're taking French, Spanish, Urdu. um, And so um, in, in my own experience, my own personal experience, when I said to my daughter who loves French, Spanish, I said, why don't you consider picking Urdu as a subject? Because it's your mother tongue. And if you're able to to learn more about it, that's fantastic, and you'll you'll be able to get a higher out of it. She says, oh, no, mum, I don't think I can select that. I says, Why not? She says. Well, he's a very nice teacher. He says, but um, the children don't see him as a real teacher. Wow. Ah, that's interesting. You
0: wanted to unpack that, obviously. <laughs> ah,
1: and you know, I says, what do you mean by that? She says, I don't know, mum. I don't know whether it's because he speaks a little bit different. And obviously, he looks different from other teachers. Okay. And so, this kind of conversation continued, and then she stopped, just realizing she didn't want to have the conversation. I could feel that my daughter had a little bit of empathy for this particular teacher. Um, and maybe it came from the respect from home that your teacher you have to respect. But she, they picked up on those nuances from other youngsters that actually that subject perhaps is not valued. Mm-hmm. And, and again, whose language is being valued? French, Spanish, Urdu. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's somebody's mother tongue linked to a cultural heritage. Um, so so those kinds of undertones can be picked mm-hmm. up. But also when, in my research, what we've discovered is many BME teachers talk about where they've raised something in the classroom, a particular issue, or they've challenged a negative stereotype. Um a colleague might come back and say, So, so why do you think that? And are you then suggesting that we should be also discussing these things when I should be focusing on what I'm teaching in the curriculum? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're 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 almost held to ransom in a sense of answering and being answerable to those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a typical example is one teacher said, She was asked in the staff room by a fellow colleague, What do you think about the Brussels event mm-hmm. when we'd had the terrorist attack? And she says I was really upset and appalled that you know why are you asking me because I feel just as appalled as you are mm-hmm. as everybody else
0: there was on you think there was a sort of implicit mm-hmm. you can have a different take on this um, yeah. from from me and, yeah. and the
1: others, so there's many different examples mm-hmm. that you know obviously hopefully when I publish the the, the thesis um that, that they'll come to the fore mm-hmm. these are just small examples of how sometimes just the very subtle and very covert um acts of discrimination that take place and many teachers just I think have learned to just turn a blind eye to it or as I would say kind of just they want to fit in Um, and by fitting in they are then perhaps making that choice to leave aspects of their identity, be it their linguistic identity, be it their cultural, their religious identity at the school door.
0: Which I guess only serves to perpetuate yeah. the problems out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Cause, you know,
1: One yeah. teacher said, "Well, I'm a maths teacher, Khadija, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm coming in and I'm teaching maths. That's all I do." Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So for for yeah. 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 Sometimes it's the just the easiest path is just to sit. Right, uh, uh, but that yet
1: attitude. the mm-hmm. literature when we when we when we explore the literature about teacher identity and we look at personal identity and professional identity and we learn that it's intimately linked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like almost mm-hmm. leaving a part of your personality. Yeah. At the door before you come in, um, so it it does, it does beg the question: what 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 kinds of teachers fit? You know what 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 are we what are we doing here? So that when you were sort of basically saying that in answer to
2: this question about why don't we have you know sort of more BME teachers in classrooms, and that was that you felt that the the pupils in the classroom they perceive that kind of slight. Outsiderness, or the, the, the being kept sort of slightly on the outside of things, or, or not bringing the, the or, not, or the teachers, some of the BME teachers, not not feeling that they can be entirely themselves, and not thinking that they want to be
1: in a job where they can't be themselves—is that? Well, I think the young people are fantastic, yeah. um, and I think that actually just the very presence of having a BME teacher in a classroom. Can, can absolutely break down uh, barriers, negative stereotypes that young people might have acquired from the home, from from media, in billboards, whatever. But actually, um, from my research, many of the BME teachers I interviewed and, and ch- chatted around, we talked about what they do in their classroom. And what I've been writing about is actually making this hidden curriculum visible. Obviously, the curriculum, we've got these implicit beliefs and values that sometimes we kind of pass on to young people without realising it. And they're actually questioning the curriculum or are raising particular issues around the curriculum. And actually, when you you read more into it, there's a buzzword going around decolonising the Mm -hmm. curriculum. And actually, my argument is that's what many BME teachers are doing Mm -hmm. in their natural teaching and learning in a classroom, um, so I spoke to, I interviewed a science teacher, so black and minority, I think, science teacher, um, fantastic character. And he said to me, Khadija, do you know where the word alkali actually originated from? Said, no, science isn't my strong part. I said, well, I told the young people that, do you know that it was a, a Muslim scholar, Al Khalil? I said, ah, right. <laughs> and so it's those small, um, inserts or small bits that they make, those reference points mm-hmm. that they make, those cultural mm-hmm. reference points that they make, that actually go a long way with young people. Mm-hmm. And he says, then they'll start to ask more questions. Um, and the same with some algebraic, you know, equations. Where did that come from? Um, and I know that Robina has mentioned in the past about, you know, um, music composers and so on. Mm-hmm. When we ask, in fact, when I ask my students in the lecture theatre, you know, what, what, do you know what this means? You know, whether it's decolonising the curriculum or whether we call it culturally relevant pedagogy, they're actually unsure. Mm -hmm. And they will stick to what they know best and it's probably drawing from their own lived experience. Mm -hmm. So if they've not been exposed to that, those kinds of information, they're unlikely to be able to bring that to the fore in their teaching, That's yeah. Me.
2: But if you actually just had more BME teachers, you would have more of that li- different yeah. other or yes. lived experience problem, potentially, actually, or maybe not. Potentially, but- <laughs> potentially. In an ideal
1: world, that would be fantastic. Mm. However, so you have, and this is what I found in the research: there are some BME teachers who will say, "No, absolutely, Khadija, I when I go into the classroom, I will challenge." I will throw in the odd comment and I'll see how the young people take to that. Um, But there are some teachers who will say, no, I'm not doing it. Um, So when I go in, for example, I gave you, I'm teaching maths. uh, I don't want to discuss anything else because I've got a career to think about.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's another layer of complexity. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Wonder if we could maybe just at this point rewind, rewind a few years to your own experience yeah. at school. You know, where did you grow up? What was how, did, how was school for you?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Glasgow mm-hmm. and um, I attended a school in the south side of Glasgow. Um, and it was it was not diverse at that time, um, and now it's now I think you'd you'd think it's about ninety five percent BME young people attend that school what um, sort
2: of you give us an idea of dates what, what kind of year are we yeah, talking yes so were you you're down, talking your, about
1: giving my age away here so I attended primary one probably in about the mid-1970s okay. yeah and um, so yeah it was a time when my teachers couldn't say my name and, and I so I write a lot about this um, because that for me is just the start of it that's yeah. the start of my identity and when I go to school and my teacher doesn't get my name right, does, despite the number of times I've tried to correct, just ask. Uh, and I say yeah, that to my student teachers. Don't guess. I actually say to the young people, silly me, could you help me to make sure that I pronounce your mm. name correctly? Mm. Because what happens was I stopped um, um, correcting. I just accepted that they were going to change my name. Um, so I went from um, Kadja... To Caddy, they chopped off the, the, the Jai and the A.
0: Obviously, they give you a diminutive version. They just assume so, they could call
1: you whatever. So, yeah, so the argument here is I mean, when parents name their child, uh-huh. there's a lot of thought process mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. goes into that, doesn't it? The naming of a child, some of it's linked to your cultural heritage, some of it's linked to just perhaps maybe some kind of spirituality, or maybe some, you know, grandparents' names or something. Um, But actually, sometimes parents name their children knowing that they're going to have a challenge associated with that name and that it might be burdensome at times because they're having to then try to fit in as well because somebody can't pronounce it. But because that name represents who they are and part of that's linked to their culture and their identity.
0: And what do you think was going on with the teachers there who didn't make the effort to get it right?
1: So, I mean, it probably goes back to my point that I wrote in the article that there there can be this sense of complacency where, or, you know, I don't know how to pronounce Mm -hmm. it and I'm just going to, uh, I'll just do what's easier. So Mm -hmm. quite often teachers angle size names um, and um, whether, I mean, there's research that argues that there's there's some sort of racial undertones Mm -hmm. there, that not just being bothered to be able to try and get Mm -hmm. that pronunciation correct, because it's not really difficult, Mm -hmm. Um and so why wasn't that effort made to try and understand? Um the argument could be I just find it too difficult and it's a new name and I'm not used to it. But then when it continues and continues, it becomes well, actually you're dismissing um a strong part of my identity and you're showing me that you don't really care mm-hmm. um that you're you're not getting my name correct. Mm-hmm. And and what happens then is a child goes through a process, what we we argue about sort of internet internalized. Sort of racism, and I say in a very subtle tone that um, you learn that you're just going to have to put up with that and and not question it Um, until I think when you some some children find the tools to be able to deal with that, and some don't Mm. find the tools to Mm. deal with it. I think I wasn't until I got to secondary school that I thought, right, this is not going on any longer. And I refused to answer to my teachers when they got my name <laughs> I wrong. Totally right. <laughs> I was always in trouble then. <laughs> I was always reprimanded or given a set of lines to write. But I thought, no, I'm not going to do this because you can't get my name right. You're not going to get an answer from did, me.
0: Did it at least get them to pronounce it correctly after that? Or um, so? Sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And does that side, uh, how, how was your experience of school?
1: How did it go um, I, um, my goodness, I was, I have an older sister who was extremely academic. Uh, I don't think I was, I think I probably learned, um, what do I say to students, learned helplessness. Uh, I overheard teachers talking to my parents at parents' night saying, she's she's not going to amount to much. Um, And I was terrible at maths. And it it was those days where arithmetic and mathematics were separate subjects. Mm -hmm. And... um, so I tell her just to stick with arithmetic. Mm-hmm. She's not going to cope with the maths. And so you suddenly realise, oh, gosh, I must not be very clever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that learned helplessness stayed with me for a number of years. So I left school with very basic, basic hires. And I thought, right, school's not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a job in a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I um, was pregnant with my first child. And... Um, was on maternity leave and I thought, oh, I can't go back. It's just not stimulating, it's not motivating me to, to want to go back. And it was my dad that said to me, Have you thought about teaching? And I remember laughing like, dad, are you serious? Um but actually when I thought about it more and more, I thought, yeah, actually, maybe the experiences I've had, I could maybe try and make a difference for somebody else. Um, so I went to inquire, um, I was told I needed to get my maths oh no another <laughs> barrier come my way yeah. I had my English higher so that was fine and I remember going to night College to do my maths qualification so that I could tick another box um, and I was accepted at Strathclyde and it was fantastic and I was four years I the four year undergraduate teacher training programme and if I remember correctly I was one of the only BMU students to graduate that year um, 1997 <coughs> Um, and it was great because I kept seeing I went out with a bank, um, first class honours in my teaching <laughs> practice, you know, thinking I was going to sort the world out. Um, and then when you when you hit your classroom, you realise it's a very different <laughs> yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, when we and M and I visit schools these days, we see lots of um, celebrations of uh, pupils, different cultural, yeah. linguistic heritage and so on. Was there any of that going about when when you were at school? Was it something that was celebrated or was it just talked about? I
1: I remember, so when I was still in primary school, um, I wasn't wasn't at the age of sort of fasting at the time. So, you know, Ramadan Mm -hmm. comes along and you're fasting. But then we have the big celebration, which we call Eid. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember taking a day off, but then the next day coming in with a sick note.
0: Because so that was the only way you could get the yep. day off, right?
1: And so, you know, got my mum to write a note saying Khadija was unwell, you know, yesterday, so therefore we decided not to send her in. But actually, I was having a ball of a time and it was all. <laughs> <laughs> what, and what do you think
0: if your mum had instead written a note, Khadija was off yesterday because it was Eid? What? So how do you think the school would have...
1: I think the school would have been... Would've, I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. I just felt... So, so I think I've already gone into that process of assimilation or wanting to fit in not wanting to be different not wanting then to be asked questions Mm -hmm. again about so so what is eat Mm -hmm. um Whereas actually, I would have liked my teachers to have known what that was, you know. So, um, is that what you're kind
2: of keen to impart now? Because you were saying that a part of big part of your remit is you yeah. know, sort of race equality. You know, yeah. so when you're sort of teaching students here, yeah. so you know, yeah, do you think that we've just do you think we're there with that? You know, do, do you think that teachers mm-hmm. do know now? You so, know?
1: do you know when I talk about student teachers, there's a real thirst for, for knowledge, there's a real thirst. And interest in the area um, I would like to think that we could have more inputs um, and more conversations around um, social justice race equality um, and so wherever we get the opportunity we, we do raise those critical um, issues now I think that um, there's an appetite which is really positive um, but I think what we need to do is we need to support Um, teachers so I think so new student teachers if they get that input within their initial teacher training perfect it's wonderful to have that conversation Um, experienced teachers who perhaps don't feel confident to navigate conversations around race then I, I absolutely would recommend that they undergo some race equality training because it's as I always say to my own students it's not about laying the blame at anybody's door it's not about finger pointing you don't know what you don't know and sometimes it could be down to complacency or nervousness my worry is um, where there are some teachers in Scotland probably in the wider UK and there's maybe an unwillingness to Mm -hmm. to interrogate or actually this not seeing nature of actually I don't think there's a problem Mm -hmm. Um, and that's probably more concerning because then there's there's not an opportunity to be able to then have those conversations yeah. to begin to change somebody's perception. I think as educators, you know, we're in a real unique position and, and we're in a unique position to shape the perceptions of our young people. Oh. And so educators have real power to either replicate the social inequalities that exist or actually create classrooms where they offer um, real um, powerful, valid, safe spaces to challenge and disrupt the status quo and be able, to, um, be able to offer validity to young people's culture, their identity and not expect the young people to fit in. Uh, I, I read the work of Chris Gain, fabulous author, and he, he talks about children um, playing white um, and so BMU children playing white. So this is this notion of fitting in. Um, so many young people um, won't want to talk about those things, probably for fear of being singled out. Mm-hmm. But I think there's lovely ways that teachers can incorporate that. Um, you know, there's, we, we use lots of different types of pedagogy, the you know, hot seating um, In fact, another example was a young person, teacher was talking, it was RME, they were looking at celebrations and the teacher happened to use the language, um, so we celebrate Christmas um, to to celebrate Jesus's birthday. And they celebrate um, Mm -hmm. Ramadan and Eid to celebrate Prophet Muhammad's birthday. Mm -hmm. And I remember a young person standing up and saying uh, to me later on, sure that was not right, (laughs) said, Muhammad. And I said, ah, that's right, that was actually very wrong. Mm-hmm. She goes, I said, well, did you not challenge your teacher? And the response was, well, you try challenging her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually, uh, on reflection, if the teacher had just changed or tweaked some mm-hmm. of her words there and said, Christians mm-hmm. celebrate <laughs> Christmas, <laughs> Muslims celebrate mm-hmm. Eid, we stop that, them and us. Yeah. You know, it's small things that can go a long way
0: sensitivity isn't it um,
1: and it's just that awareness at the very forefront Mm. and being cognizant of the the young people that are sitting Mm. in front of you because one curriculum doesn't fit all you know
0: I think a common perception would be that uh, most reasonable minded people would say obviously there are issues that still need to be addressed but probably quite a common perception is uh, about things are going in the right direction they're better than they were we're headed in the right towards the right place. But I was quite struck when I interviewed uh, Ken Muir, who was, he was obviously um, yeah. Chief Executive mm-hmm. of the General Teacher Council for Scotland. Uh, it was late in 2018 and, you know, in a, a high position where people yes. tend to be quite careful with the words. And he told me he was sickened with the actual word used by the racism that he still saw in education that, to his mind, there'd been little progress in the course of a century in Scottish education. What do you think of that? Would you concur?
1: Um, do you know um, Ken? Have you just said what Ken's position is? And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, good on you, Ken, because Ken, you're able to say this out loud. Um, I, I think, I think that there's positive steps. Absolutely, I think we're 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 heading in the right direction. There's still a lot of work to be done, and sometimes it's very simple steps. Some are very significant. So even just getting a child's name correct. You know, it's something so we're still not even it's there So, yet. so simple, so it's, yeah. uh-huh. but yet so significant, isn't it? Um and so Ken to to, to say that uh, yeah, from, from the research that I've conducted, um it's very clear that we do have some teachers in our schools in Scotland um who perhaps um, are not are not actually perhaps taking stock about their own behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, in a staff room or in a classroom. I mean, many of the the BME teachers have reported instances where they've had a social work night out. So, you know, as teachers, they'll they'll get together and they'll go Mm -hmm. out for a night out uh, of being excluded. Um, In what
0: what sense? Could you give us an example?
1: So not being invited.
0: Or just simply not being invited. Um,
1: Or a a, a teacher um, said she walked into the staff room and colleagues would stop talking suddenly. Mm. Um, So that feeling of being othered and marginalised Um, in so, one particular uh, BME teacher commented on her. um, She was questioned about her accent. Mm -hmm. That's a very strong accent you have. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you sure the young people understand what you say? And um, and I I thought, my goodness, wouldn't it be a very boring place to be if we all sounded the same (laughs) and all looked the same? Mm -hmm. Um, So these are the kinds of very subtle comments, and some of them will turn a blind eye to it. Mm -hmm. Um, one teacher very categorically said she says Khadija um, I have a career to think about and if I start to raise issues or sometimes I experience something I'm sometimes not sure what it is I'm experiencing and don't have the words perhaps to articulate it or are too scared to perhaps articulate that actually what they're experiencing is, is racism mm-hmm. um, and they say I don't want to play the race card mm-hmm. Okay, this is a card to be played here yeah. Um, because I can then kiss all chances of of, of promotion goodbye. Mm. That to me is concerning. Mm. Where a teacher cannot approach their their, their head teacher and, and raise a concern, a genuine concern, um, with the view that the head teacher would then want to investigate that mm. further and offer support. Uh, what I'm finding is, um, as um, I have a separately charitable organisation on the go, which was just set up because. Um, many teachers used to, to come to me and say, I'm having issues at work. Did you, could you give me some support? Can you just remind me
0: or remind us what it's called for people Sorry. in the and, um, um, So it's
1: SAMI, it's okay. Scottish Association mm. of Minority Ethnic mm. Educators. And it really came to, together. It was a few teachers we, we used to get together over cups of coffee. And we talked about the number of parents that would contact mm. us to say, um, I don't know how to communicate this to the class teacher or to the school. If you get any ideas or any tips, Um because we were teachers at the time, and um, and we also had colleagues saying, you know, I've been trying to go for promotion, and I've, I've done this course and I've done this course, but it's, I'm still being told, no, you're not, you're not good enough. Um, and um, so we decided to to, to put this organisation together, and um, and and many teachers will will still come to us raising concerns. What we have done is we've developed a mentoring program. And we've 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 had a number of teachers go through that program, and it was the first session was so so um, uh, illuminating because teachers got quite emotional. They were talking about their lived experience in schools and the discrimination they were facing. And I I don't know what I was expecting actually, but what came to the fore was many of them then said, "Well, actually, you know, this similar experience to mine." And a lot of our work in isolation, so mm-hmm. they might be the only black teacher in a school. Um, and um, so they they had a sense of community they found a safe space where they had colleagues like-minded colleagues with similar lived experiences and suddenly that gave them a sense of affirmation a sense of validation to what they were experiencing and then subsequent sessions were around supporting each other and we were talking about teacher agency and what does that mean you know are you able to you know, bring parts of your cultural and linguistic identity into your teaching and and, and challenge some of the the conceptual. We talk about the curriculum all the mm-hmm. time, and 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 you know, is our curriculum fit for purpose? Um, uh, in terms of what kinds of let's so what kind of history are we teaching mm-hmm. our young mm-hmm. people? And you know,
0: well, the, 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 that whole concept you're talking about earlier of decolonising the cu- yeah. curriculum is a fascinating sort of uh, idea, and makes us sort all, of, I guess, look at the Look at everything in a whole different light. I mean, you you, you mentioned the a nice example of alkali and the etymology of that word, uh, but you've just mentioned history there. Is that anything that you see in the curriculum where, you know, actually there could be another way of approaching that? Or there's whole swathes of, you know, historical eras and. Uh, yeah,
1: I think sometimes. Being I moment. think sometimes we're in danger of the history that we're, we're teaching or the approach sometimes we take reinforces negative stereotypes. Um, you know, so um, and how it's presented to young people, are we, are we really getting them to critically analyse and challenge and question history um, and so that for me that's a real issue, uh, oftentimes how, um, so for example we had the um, young people in the secondary school discussing the whole Syrian conflict mm-hmm. at one point and um, this young person wrote a fantastic essay around it um, but yet um, there was real questions around. Oh gosh, is there fear of being radicalised because mm-hmm. this was a fabulous essay? But no one was questioning what it was actually a really critical piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, and, and in fact, in a primary school I went to, to recently, they were doing African Culture Week, mm-hmm. and they were. It was. I mean, the place was buzzing. And there was you know African music being played, some cookery going on, and children making tribal masks. And then they were walking around with these masks, and I. And, you know, I said to my colleagues, this is, you know, this is okay. Mm. So, Khadija, you're never happy. You're telling us (laughs) to do, you know, let's celebrate culture. When we do it, you're telling us it's, you know, it's not great. Mm. And I said, well, I'm glad that you're doing something. But this verges on the tokenistic, Mm. you know, and it's kind of a one-off. Let's have a culture week and then we can forget about it. But actually, in the process of what you're doing, have you been to Africa? Mm. and and do you see people walking around with tribal masks on Mm. so you know what are we telling what messages are we giving to the young people you know so so there's many instances like that Mm. that that you see going on in in schools that you just want yeah I guess we do ancient Egypt but maybe not anything in the more Uh kind of contemporary you know sort Uh of you know Uh yeah it's quite funny
2: isn't it in certain certain ways like you say
0: that if young people have heard of certain places around the world at all it's Sometimes through a lens of victimhood in Africa. It's through
1: that oppression, think, the yeah. oppression.
0: Um, large swathes of Asia. It's uh, it's they're war torn. You know, and how many people know about uh, you know yeah. the cradle of civilization being in the Middle East? Yeah. Middle East, uh, yeah. that, 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 yeah. you know, does that, uh, So,
1: so absolutely. So, teachers having yeah. the confidence to be able to be able to bring those kinds of issues to the fore and actually create opportunities where the young people. Can actually question and come to their own perceptions and and perhaps challenge what they're what they're hearing or seeing or reading um, outside the classroom. Mm. And again, for that, for teachers, I'll say to them: Have a look at your classroom. Um, have a look at the walls in your classroom. Um, you know, are we only displaying English in, in our wall displays? How about having multilingual wall yes. displays? So we're showing value to other languages. When we show value to other languages, we're automatically showing value to cult other cultures. In our in our book corners, or we've got storybooks, are they all by white authors? Mm-hmm. Are they all about white families? Are we are we challenging that? Um and and again, so what what look at the curriculum? And and that, that can impact on not on race, but social class as well. Okay. Oftentimes we're presented with with texts that we think that doesn't relate mm-hmm. to the young people that I'm with, you know, they don't have that same lived experience to bring to that learning, and so therefore, actually, the, the the implications of that can be quite significant. When you are 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 using a curriculum or or delivering teaching and learning that doesn't relate to the experiences of the young people, then even the assessment of that learning, I would argue, is not valid. Mm-hmm. Because if children bring their experiences to the learning, it's much more powerful and much more relatable, and they take so much more away from it, and they can demonstrate that. And they bring something learning. to it, yeah. absolutely. You know, like,
2: so they've got this whole sort of yeah. they've got this whole sort of knowledge that they're being asked to dip into yeah. for some children, but if other children aren't going to be asked to dip into their own knowledge, what they know about the world so far, yeah. they're at an automatic disadvantage, yeah. presumably.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, so you know, there was another class I visited, they were was doing looking at World yeah. War Two. And there were children in the class who are from asylum-seeking backgrounds, Mm. you know, refugee, and you're thinking, so okay, spare a minute to think that you've actually got young people in the classroom Mm. who have escaped war-torn countries and have gone through that trauma. And so actually there's a real need for you to be cognizant of that Mm. um, and, and talk about, so we're talking about, one Holocaust that happened many years ago, but we've also got some current Holocausts going mm-hmm. on, and we need to bring those to the fore as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, and it's sometimes we what happens, what I'm finding is our students don't have perhaps confidence, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and as a as a teacher educator, as a as a lecturer here, I, I see it as a, a part of my, uh, my duty as a teacher to be able to, to offer that support. Mm-hmm. Because I think I used to have this naive view that, you know, teachers can't cause harm. Mm -hmm. And uh, sadly, as making reference to Ken's comment, Mm -hmm. they, they can cause harm because where they are replicating those social injustices, are causing harm when a teacher is not decolonising that curriculum or is not making that curriculum mm-hmm. relatable to that young child or making those subtle absolutely, you know sort of them us kind absolutely. of the use of language what, what impact is that having on that child's experience and if we really want to get down to the, the sort of the children's rights mm-hmm. to an education that relates to their experiences
0: and when we take a sort of step back beyond education we look at global trends just now in the Rise of the far right the resurgence of the far right. And to what extent do you see that infecting what you're doing and children's experience of the world that, yeah. that teachers are coming up against?
1: That's a, a great question. Mm. Um, I think it's having a, a a detrimental effect. I actually think we're we're as much as we were we were making some progress. I think it's taking us some backward steps because what's happening is when you see people in positions of power um, being able to make um, very overt racist comments Mm. about particular communities and then not being challenged Mm. um, it becomes sort of normalised
0: Legitimised Yeah, Yeah, normalised,
1: legitimised it's okay to say that Mm. Um, and um, and so you see all the the, uh, Children are on the internet, they're, they're accessing sources that you're. So it's reinforcing some of that. Mm-hmm. And then that's a lot of work to then unpack that um, and unlearn actually those. Um,
0: Especially you look at someone like Trump, who yeah. some of the things he was coming out with on the election trail three years ago, whenever it was, um, it was very shocking. Now he's been around a few years and we're almost a bit numb to what he says. Oh, honest, Trump come out with this ridiculous statements again, but I assume we should be still alive to wait a minute. This yeah. is totally reprehensible. Some of the stuff yeah. he said about disabled people, about certain yeah. ethnic minorities. So is that is that a danger that this sort of inflammatory language is becoming quite normalized and we're yes. so desensitized to it or I, becoming more so?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we're mm. in real danger of that. And I think that when we when I think about Teachers um, in schools, excuse me, many teachers, um there are comments made um that actually when when challenged, um they will say, Oh my goodness, are you suggesting that I have made a racist comment? I am mm-hmm. not at all racist, I have not a racist bone in my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so suddenly the the, the the black teacher who's raised that concern actually becomes almost aligned as the perpetrator and yeah. the, the the teacher becomes a victim you're, you're
0: accusing me of something yeah. yeah
1: and obviously if you, you go into academic terminology it's kind of white fragility mm-hmm. and and so I'm even speaking to our student teachers around that to to, to be able to be open to to listening to mm-hmm. those critical counter narratives that people come with because we learn from them we learn from that experience that actually I I disagree I don't think that's that's appropriate mm-hmm. to say. I, some of the students here will ask me, you know, Khadija, and uh, 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 I'm pleased to do it because it's a safe space. And they'll say, "Why is it? Um, why is it not okay to say the word Paki?" Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. And and I was alarmed at first, thinking, "Oh my goodness!" Um, and I, I have a friend who's Turkish, and they don't mind being called Turks. Mm-hmm. And so we enter into that conversation and try to explain some why that's not appropriate mm-hmm. and why actually that is racist. That's mm-hmm. considered racist because. You're not referring to the country mm. of origin, mm. but actually the colour of someone's mm. skin. Mm. Or I have teachers who say things like, oh, talking about race just puts ideas in children's heads.
0: Goodness
1: me. <laughs> yeah. Or um, I don't see anyone's colour. And mm. th- that's where I maybe say that the intention uh-huh. might be good in the sense that actually I treat everybody the same. And so you say, well, let's have a look at that. Let's mm. unpack that. Because you, you can't treat them the same, mm-hmm. you can treat them equally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, by treating them the same, what message you're giving out to that young person? If that young person was me, you're not getting my name right, so you're anglicising it, or you're changing <laughs> it, yeah. Um, and what you're then doing is you're saying that you don't see my my diversity, mm-hmm. you don't see that I come from a different cultural background, you don't. I come from a different ethnicity. I also have this skill. I have another language which at the moment you're presenting to me as a deficit mm-hmm. and and when you try to get the message to, to teachers that actually young people who are bilingual are cognitively more able.
0: Well, that, I have <laughs> actually got the word deficit scribbled down in my topic here I was going to ask you that because you know that's the, possibly quite a subtle thing sometimes in the classroom but quite a possibly profound one is like you say the idea of deficit or a child's heritage being an asset so if a child is used to being told, right, here's what you need to do to catch up or here's what you need to do to get on, you know, maybe they've come from another place, another country yeah. and like, yeah. you've got to catch up, you're you're behind, you you don't need to know this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're not brought in as, look, here's this little boy or little girl, You speak another language, you're only six, isn't that amazing? And yeah. um, You know, to what extent are we getting that right or wrong in terms of, you know, seeing these kids with... Coming from different backgrounds it's yeah. so as so, rather than something to be fixed absolutely. To, to catch up. We
1: have some we have wonderful um I I work um and I have some really good colleagues in the Glasgow EAL mm-hmm. team and they're fabulous practitioners. So EAL, English and Additional Language, and you know they're they're real advocates, they're real champions, and um are very few and far between. Um, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, it's, know, it's been sort of a provision that's absolutely. actually been quite cut back yeah, in, in and, recent and years with yes, budget cuts, Absolutely. It. And they're fantastic because they, they have that understanding of second language acquisition. They understand that actually, because many times you'll hear teachers um, saying, right, so you can't speak Polish. You need to learn to speak English because mm-hmm. how else are you going to mm-hmm. develop and learn? And you just want them to stop and pause and say, actually... If you allow them to continue mm. to talk in their first language, you might not understand what they're saying, and maybe that's what's making you feel uncomfortable. Well, but having the opportunity to continue to speak in their first language, it helps them to develop those strong talking and listening skills.
2: Yes.
1: And by doing that, what's happening is that transition to learning English or another language is much easier and smoother. Mm. And so we're missing a trick when we do that. So oftentimes you've got to say to teachers, you've got to ask yourself, is it learning support or actually just language support? Mm. And if it's language support, the strategies you will use for that particular child will be strategies that will, fit for, will be beneficial for all children mm. because you'll be giving them some visual cues. Even your sort of less able readers can benefit from those extra visual strategies you give them a word bank to take away, but but you capitalise on the fact that, wow, this child can speak another language, and the, with that language comes another perspective, um, and, and we should we should capitalise on that and revalue we'll it. And we all know
0: about teacher workloads, so that seems really important to me, that, you, that teachers see it as, it's not just, oh, yeah, another thing on my to-do list, it's like, actually, this can help me in all sorts of I'm ways. I'm glad it's, you, you know,
1: raised the, that. Yeah. Um, it's not an add-on. Mm-hmm. And it's not an addition to their workload. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very, um, very, um, feel strongly mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. because when, when we're training student teachers and experienced teachers will know this, we talk about the values of, of, of being a teacher. We talk about how we can, if we have got a classroom of 25, 30 children, how do we make that learning relevant? So we differentiate. We differentiate between different ability groups, um, different interests and and that children who have English in a different language fall into that category. So you're not so if I have a few learners in my class who's for, for them English is a second language, I will make sure that when I'm planning my lesson, that I will have to think about right, will the young people um, be familiar with this terminology? Because it might be topic specific vocabulary. So for example, if I was going to be teaching them about natural disasters and we're looking at earthquakes or volcanoes. What I'll then do is I'll create a word bank of those key terminology. I'll send it with a letter home to the parents to say, um, here's some blank cards. Here's some of the words that we're going to be using next term for our topic. So you have to be super organized and ask the parents to write that in their first language. And so when they come back, so use the the parent community that you have as well. Um, And you'll come back with a a ready-made, so put those labels on your wall. You've got... English word display. You've got whether it's Polish, eh, Punjabi, eh, French, Spanish, whatever it is. You've automatically got a multilingual world display. You've not had to do much work there, um, and and you're going over those words with the young people so that when they actually come, when you come to teach the topic, they're already familiar with that terminology. And for me, that is just good practice. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It was really, yeah. Uh, it was really interesting. And uh, you were talking yourself about you know sort of being um, bilingual. What can you tell us about what what, lang- what languages do you speak? And yeah.
1: Of... So I speak uh, Urdu and Punjabi, and um, and it's interesting because I think when I was teaching in schools um, at the time, there wasn't much diversity in the school that I I was teaching. In fact. It was a, a holy uh, white staff, fabulous staff, and um, the children were also from a white ethnicity. Suddenly, we had one young girl from Pakistan arrive, and um, it was quite, quite Khadija out of the classroom because no one could speak to the parents, you know, from the, the school admin team. And I thought, right, what, what, what am I supposed to do here? So when I met the parents, I, I knew they were from Pakistan. I thought, right, actually, oh, I can speak Urdu. Maybe that might help. So for me, it was a quick realisation. I spoke to the parents, got all the relevant details. And do you know... How did it take you a minute
2: to make that leap? Because I mean, it? Because you were never asked to Absolutely. in this environment before. Because
1: <laughs> from my own training and actually my experience of working in a school, I didn't at first see the relevance of, of using that. And I wished I'd capitalised it. But I didn't at the time. When it was my, came into my classroom, I thought, right, this is great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do my main teaching in English. And I'll take some time out and I will then say some of those key points in Urdu, in her first language, to see if she can, you know, connect. And this young person was not responding well to that. And I remember thinking oh. I'm feeling this young child, I need to do something and I came into my room and that's when my own experience of reflecting on my own practice was while I looked around my walls, there was nothing in my walls or in my classroom resources that showed that I valued other cultures Mm -hmm. and no wonder this young child did not want me to speak in this foreign language because it singled her out Mm -hmm. or it made her appear to be different Mm -hmm. And so what I then, I learned about how to bring in different languages. We just used to take the gold and say, right, let's pick a country. Just rasp spin the And let's, just pick, <laughs> let's find out what language that country speaks mm. and the culture. Mm. And we would learn to say hello. And then as it subsequently we discovered there's a fantastic website mm. called Language of the Month that mm-hmm. does that. Um, and so for me, it was a quick realisation. And again, it was a, a book I came across that, you know, we're all white, flanks, It's schools that are saying where there's no diversity, mm-hmm. we don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And actually the argument is it's those very schools that need to have mm-hmm. those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I won this child around because I started to do that. I started to have those multilingual displays. I brought our parents in to say, can you help me to do this? Um, and so it didn't really require not lot of effort. Mm-hmm. It was just that awareness um, to, to, to change um, and modify my practice ever so slightly.
0: And as a primary teacher, did you see problematic attitudes from pupils appearing from an early age? And if so, where was that coming from?
1: Attitudes about myself, about my, my identity. Um, perhaps
0: about you, perhaps more yeah. generally about race. Well, do publicity. you know,
1: very mm-hmm. early on in primary school, uh, I was teaching mm-hmm. and we all so obviously 9-11 mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Uh, to the world. So you were working as a primary teacher, at the, a primary teacher yeah. at the time? I was a primary school teacher at the time, and um, I remember desperately wanting to go back into my classroom to, to have this conversation with the mm. young
0: people. I think it was a Tuesday, was it? Uh-huh. it Aha, yeah. and
1: yeah. The, the children, Mrs. Muhammad, Mrs. Muhammad, did you see what the Muslims did?
0: Right.
1: And I said, Well, and that, was, that yeah. it was the Muslims. And I, and I said, Yes, yeah, yeah. so, so, so tell me about it. Well, what have you mm. heard? What, what are you mm. thinking? And and at that point, I mean I Sorry, what age of
0: kids was this? So
1: Primary seven. seven. Uh, so ready to go into high school. And it was such an interesting morning. And I said, Boys and girls, so they had their, their moment to speak and, and share their own perceptions. And I stopped them and I said, Boys and girls, who am I? You're Mrs. Mohammed. And I said, Aha, does my name give you a clue as to perhaps what faith I follow? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't wear a hijab at the time, so perhaps you know, visibly they might not have made that uh, connection. Um, and there was silence in the room, and and a young lad from the back room shouted out, oh,
0: "You're a Muslim!" Oh, they had they made yeah. that connection.
1: And and yeah. I said, "Yes, I am." Ah, but you're different. This is okay. So what makes me different? And and it was just what followed was a lovely conversation. They talked about the IRA. They talked about Rangers versus Celtic, <laughs> um, but they actually came to their own conclusion that we can't tar everybody with the same brush. And they got to hear my perceptions of well, actually, the people who um, uh, took, you know, undertook that absolute, um, you know, appalling um, event. I don't, I don't associate them with them um, with my faith. Um, and I, and I honestly think that the, the young people would challenge somebody outside mm-hmm. um, after the conversation we had. Um, or equally, I would have a young person say to me, um, I was out doing a school visit once uh, when you visit your student teachers on, on placement, and a young person asked me, do you have hair under your hijab? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was lovely. Why wouldn't you ask that question? <laughs> and, and I could have taken the approach, oh, I shouldn't ask those questions. Yeah. Um, and I said, yes, I do. Would you like to see it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes and I said well you need to promise me to go on with your schoolwork after you finish that then you can come and see me I thought he'd forget about mm. it uh, but he did he came forward and said right I'm I'm finished <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to I see your hair <laughs> um, and I asked him I so, said well I need your help and he says okay so I put your hand out and was trying to take out my pins one by one <laughs> I so said, don't hurt yourself. I said, now you promise me you will not comment on the colour of my hair. <laughs> um, it covers up bad hair days. Um, this child was wonderful. How old was the child, totally. Um, so this was um six-year-old, six-year-old child right. and um started, you know, touching my hair. Oh, it's long, it's curly. Aha. Uh-huh. Right, that's fine, you can put it back on now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Yes, yes, you can put it back on. So I said, "Well, I need your help." So you know, those kinds of moments are significant in themselves because I think it helps to break down barriers. And I guarantee that that young person, the next time they see somebody who looks like me or has has a hijab on their head, will will think differently. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask you, well, you said that you didn't used
2: to wear the hijab when you were in your classroom in P7, yeah. when you were having the conversation with your
1: kids. Why was that? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I grew up in Scotland. I didn't, um, probably didn't know much about my own faith at the time, as, you know, a young person growing up, just getting to know the world and the life that we live in and so on. And so I just, probably about, I think, five years ago, I um, I started to, wanted to find out more about my own faith because of all the atrocities that were happening around us and all you saw was headlines, Muslims are, you know, bad people and so on. And I thought, right, okay, I think it's high time I got to know this faith (laughs) that I ascribe to Um, and um, just started to do my own research. And I thought, right, for many years I have, I have asserted my Scottish identity Mm -hmm. and I've had so many barriers and, and battles with it because you know my name and, and so on, and yeah, and then I thought, right, okay, I'm going to start asserting my my religious identity and see how that works. And so I made the decision that I would wear a hijab so it was a visible um, characteristic. and um, yeah, so that was interesting. Started to wait. I think I was quite nervous actually, the very first day I wore it, I had a wonderful colleague that I work alongside, and I phoned her from the car park and I said, right, we'd had lots of conversations around this, <laughs> and I said, um, I'm in, she goes, where are you? I says, I'm in the car park. What are you doing in the car park? I have got my hijab
0: on. <laughs>
1: she goes, well, well, come in. I says, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. She goes, what do you mean, Khadija, just come in. And I thought, if I hadn't had that conversation with my colleague, I think I would have removed my hijab. Um, and I went in with my hijab. And I bumped into a few colleagues en route to my office. And, you know, and the lovely lady at reception said, hi, Khadija. And I'm thinking, oh, oh she recognised me. <laughs> um, so it, I think it was a lot about my own perception. So it was a
0: bigger deal in your head than it was. Yeah, and,
1: and but some colleagues <laughs> just didn't want to say anything. Right. And I wondered whether they were unsure and some colleagues, which I thought was brilliant, mm-hmm. said, so Khadija, is this some kind of, you know, cultural event or, you know, what, 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 what is it? Why, why are you doing this job? And I will come down oh, and sorry, I hope you don't mind. No, absolutely. I'm so mm-hmm. glad you asked because that's the message I give out to student teachers. If you are unsure, mm-hmm. just ask mm-hmm. because young people are fantastic. You know, they are your cultural knowledge in your classroom. And tap into that and perhaps even have opportunities to team teach with the young people. Think how empowering that would be for young people to think, gosh, someone's acknowledging, Mm -hmm. valuing, celebrating my culture Mm -hmm. rather than having to kind of hide it and um, silence it.
0: So how big a problem do you think that is where people maybe are curious but they're like, oh, I'm not going to ask about that because I might say (laughs) say the wrong thing. Is your message to them... Ask the question, maybe, you'll, maybe it'll not come out quite right, but I'm, I'll, I'm happy to talk to you about are, it.
1: I so. think teachers are very skilled in asking mm-hmm. lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as teachers, we always, we're always we very aware that we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And it's very good for young people to know that we don't have the answers to everything and that it's what do we do when we don't know we ask. Um, and actually, I think it's respectful to ask than to second guess or assume because oftentimes our assumptions may be incorrect, um, and um, and this is why I'm I'm doing I'm, uh, facilitating a lot of workshops where we are trying to get um, our teachers to think about so providing case studies about so how would you respond in this if this happened in your school how would you respond what would the whole school response be or what would you do in your own classroom setting um, my my biggest um, I think focus at the moment is looking at leadership in schools. Our head teachers, um, a lot of the teachers in my own research have talked about um, if they had their teachers on board, uh, their head teachers on board, they would probably make a lot more progress. And um, and sometimes there's a reluctancy from our leadership um, to to engage in those conversations. And again, that could be down to Mm-hmm. A sense of nervousness or not, not knowing, and just so that's a territory I'm I'm not so sure about. So I'm going to just try to avoid, um, and and I think we need to be we need to be talking about it.
0: What would you maybe say to a school that wanted to maybe do more to celebrate ethnic diversity the school? Say maybe a school where the traditionally quite homogenous pupil population maybe there's been some more people arriving from other countries, mm-hmm. other heritage's. Um, but the staff are not really sure where to start. What, what advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, firstly, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm going to go back to the point mm-hmm. where we shouldn't have to wait until we have diversity mm-hmm. or somebody appears in mm-hmm. our classrooms mm-hmm. who's different, because but, that becomes even more challenging yeah. then, yeah? Um, and so, if you're almost like you yourself,
2: yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. so yeah. interesting. So, you so if know we're, what what we're having is. those
1: conversations already, yeah. then when we have, we welcome somebody new and different into our mm-hmm. classrooms. It's not a big deal, yeah, yeah. yeah. It it because actually, like, and we're very aware. We've been talking about different, different cultures. Already been doing absolutely, yeah. but yeah. we're we're obviously so schools mm-hmm. that perhaps um, lack that diversity. Mm-hmm. Then I think it would be fantastic for them to to come together and think about. So, how can we? begin to have those conversations. So let's look at perhaps what we're teaching within the curriculum, what topics are we exploring? Can we have members from the community come in to speak to the young people? Um, can we reach out to different faith groups, different um, you know community groups that can come in and speak um, to our staff? I, I would be saying, please reach out for... Um, you know, training um, in terms of that area. There's loads. There's lots of literature. I would be saying to to, to leaders in schools, start sharing. Um, I, I remember when I was a primary school teacher. If I had a problem, I don't think I would have reached out to a journal article, mm-hmm. which is what we academics yeah. say. Yes, there's loads of journal articles about yes. this. Here's a link. <laughs> actually, I think a really good leader in a school would say, "I'm actually going to do a wee bit of research here, and if there's some really." Um, Good, practical journal articles that give us some, a wealth of information. I would share that around my staff team mm-hmm. and say, here's an article that I came across. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Next time we meet, let's have a chat about it. And what are the implications of that? What can we then start to do in our club schools that would perhaps um, you know, deal with those issues that we're facing? So I think mm-hmm. a lot of it's to do with training and mm-hmm. building somebody's confidence
0: and talking of training uh, at the university, you've worked with earlier years educators at the start of the career. Uh, so when, when we think back about a lot of the issues we discussed, how do you broach these sorts of issues with preschool children?
1: Gosh, mm-hmm. yeah. So so, so interesting. And, and again, I'm going to give you a typical mm-hmm. scenario mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, I was privy to a scenario where a young, I think the child was just about four, maybe approaching four and shouted out um, to their earliest practitioner, "Look, look, there's a brown lady over there." Mm. And and I've now I've now used that in my teaching often where I've, I've I was interested to step back to see what the practitioner's response was, you know. And the response instinctively was, "Shh, we don't talk about things like right. that, and we don't say that." Mm. Um, and it was later then that I went to the practitioner and I said. Um, would you have been able to handle that in a different way? Had you had time to think? Mm. And she goes, well, I don't know. I just felt really uncomfortable when the young person said that. I mean, and, and they're young. They don't know. They don't know mm. the difference between skin colour. And I said, well, actually they do. Mm. Because that child just told you. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a brown lady. Yeah. <laughs> I said, so, so would you not? I says a lovely response. Because if by hushing the child, by telling that child, we don't say these things, what implicit messages are we giving out? And what we're telling them is that it's bad to be brown and we don't talk about these issues. Um, so actually to acknowledge and say, you're absolutely right. That is a brown lady mm. over there. And I would leave it at that at that moment mm-hmm. because the child is very young, mm-hmm. but, but young enough to have those conversations. So... Subsequently, maybe tomorrow, the next day, in my setting, I would perhaps print out a collage, so create a collage of you know, print photographs of celebrities from diverse cultural backgrounds, people that the young people can relate to, and just build a collage on my wall. Perhaps in my art area, I might put out skin-coloured pencils or put out paint trays where they can start experimenting different skin tones. In my book corner, I would make sure I would have books that um, show that diversity. And actually what happens then is young people come across it very subtly and they might they might go over and think, oh, that wasn't there yesterday. But actually, hmm, so and they might ask more questions around, so why is that person's skin colour that? And and then maybe we talk about in science pigmentation. So it's all those subtle ways that you can begin to have those conversations. And actually teach young people that it's so important that we have those conversations because that's how we're going to tackle it. By not seeing, by ignoring, um, by silencing young people, um, we are going to end up promoting those inequalities um, and reinforcing negative stereotypes.
2: I was just thinking about, you know, at some point you must have made the decision that you were going to leave the classroom yourself was that a really big deal for you and it how was, did you how did you get there
1: it was it was it was a really um, gosh you've really touched on a sensitive question um so yeah i started to do my masters at strathclyde and my masters was because of that young child who came into my classroom and i asked myself um who am I? And also, it struck with this me. This was a family from Pakistan. Yeah, is it, and it? and I thought to myself. And I remember when I first started teaching, um, a teacher from the EAL base had, had saw me coming out of the corridor, and she said to me, "Are you are you a teacher in the school?" And I said, "Yes, yes, I am. I think I am." <laughs> um, and she says, "We need folks like you in the base. <laughs> what base?" Um, and she goes, "Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The EAL base." She says, "But but why?" Do you speak another language? He says, yes, I do. I says, but I don't want to be in the base. I want to work in in my classroom as a mainstream teacher. So it really made me start to think about my personal identity because somewhere in there, I think I lost it. I was just. I just starting, thought it was so interesting was what you said about in. not having yeah. anything
2: on the walls of your own classroom uh-huh. that you yeah.
1: know. And I, I think that also links back to my own teacher training experience. Yeah. Um, so not having those So it wasn't anybody who was
2: encouraging you to, yeah. you know, like embrace that. I mean, I did. Set, I did I so. I
1: picked a, a module which had a fabulous tutor and it was supporting bilingual learners. But I still think that I didn't make that full connection, you know. Um, and again, it's my own schooling experience. So this is how powerful that is, that where we are encouraging young people to assimilate and fit in, we're actually doing them a disservice in terms of, Embracing their own diverse, multiple mm-hmm. identities, um, and sort of forget what they know. Yeah, and there. so when I embarked on this master's, my my the title of my dissertation was "Who Am I," um, and it was a case study of mainstream bilingual teachers like myself. And um, that that was great. And the external examiner had said it was a, a really good thesis, and could I I should be encouraged to come and speak to student teachers about this. And my lovely tutor at the time said, would you like to come in and speak to the students?" I said, oh gosh, right, okay. Now you're asking me something difficult. Um, and I did and I took them up on the opportunity and then I was told about, I think there were some secondment opportunities and I was encouraged to apply. Um, and I took on, a, I think it was a two-year secondment at Strathclyde. And th- so that allowed me the I can try it. And if I don't think it's for me, I'm able to go back and take on my my, my previous job as a teacher and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I could see that I was able to have an impact. Or I used to say to student teachers, if I can just get you to think about your interactions with young people who are different from yourselves. I've done I've done mm-hmm. a good job here today. And the decision came to say, do you want to go back to school or do you want? And they were saying, well, extend your contract, Khadija, but for that I'm gonna to have to hand mm-hmm. in my resignation at school. And that was a conversation. What with, year was that, roughly? Um, Just say how long I started my secondment in 2007 at Strathclyde. So right. it probably was around 2010, oh. 2011. And um, my head teacher was wonderful. And she says, Khadija, you might have a lovely impact with the young people that attend our school. Mm-hmm. And that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And we would, we would hate to lose you. She says, but actually, I want you to think about the impact you would have mm-hmm on the number of student teachers who will have who you can share these experiences with that they will take to their, their schools and so on. And I did reflect on it a lot and I thought, right, actually no, this is the time that I should make that move. And yeah, so I've never looked back. Um and 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 yeah, so, so many things have happened since then. And you-
0: you're doing a fascinating PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about your materials? Yes, what that my PhD. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so so PhD is around. It, it kind of stemmed from my master's project. Mm-hmm. My master's project where I found that some teachers were saying, "Well, actually, no, um, I'm of Chinese heritage, and my golly, when I'm when I'm teaching, I bring in that I bring that into my teaching, and I talk about it." And some were saying, "Oh gosh, no, no, I don't, I don't do it at all." Now I was just interested into why that was the case. So my PhD study started to look at. Um, how black teachers are negotiating their professional identity. And and many times we find that we've got very few BME teachers on our programmes um, and we know that the recruitment is quite problematic. And so some of our student teachers leave because they find themselves isolated because they might be the only black student in the teacher training programme. I think we need to get better at supporting them and find that sense of belonging and so many teachers find that when they go out to work. And so my research is looking at what are their challenges and what what how can we address those challenges? But actually, more importantly, how do we celebrate what they bring to the profession in terms of those diverse perspectives, the lens with, with which they can um, promote anti-racist education um, and, and help their fellow White colleagues to promote and become anti-racist educators, um, and I think for me the biggest thing from my own PhD has come to give me the confidence to now say to young to our student teachers, I'm not going to talk to you about the colour of my skin. I'm going to talk to you about the colour of your skin, and I've i because I've drawn on critical race theory, whiteness theory, whiteness as an ideology, and and say well actually. If you, there's a a famous quote about, um, I'm not going to remember the exact words, you know, but if I do not know myself, I cannot know who my learners are. And if I cannot see them well, I cannot teach them well. Uh, And so I'm saying interrogate your own identity and how that positions you and the interactions you have with young people. And unless you know yourself and the privilege that comes with being white, um, you'll not be able to interact effectively. And so that will help you to start to, to think about developing that anti-racist consciousness. And I, and, I, and I know for them it's going to be a difficult. And I'll say to them that I'm inviting you into a space that might make you feel uncomfortable. And I want you to lean into that discomfort for a while. But I promise you that with the workshop and the readings that we engage in, I'll get you over to the other side where you'll actually start to think, gosh, wow. And I, And I'll get lovely emails from students to say, You know, Khadija, I never thought actually, that I had an ethnicity. I, You know, I thought <laughs> ethnicity was other people. Um, and for me, that's, wow, brilliant. What know, do you think some sometimes
2: says, is, you know, what really resonates? You know, do you know that there's a certain point that you get, you know, sort of as you go through this journey then with your students, where you're going to have, like, for lots of them, like a bit of a breakthrough moment, you know, like what, yeah. is, like, what is it that they become aware of that they maybe weren't before,
1: you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what they become aware of is... My goodness, so they'll start asking questions about the curriculum. They'll start asking questions about, right, so do I really know all my learners? Or am I relying on the assumptions and the the knowledge perhaps that I have gained over the years? And again, I mean, in Ayrshire, so we've got a cohort in Ayrshire. And if you've grown up in Ayr or or in that neck of the woods, you might not see very much diversity. Mm -hmm. So your experience of of responding to diversity, of living in amongst a community that is diverse is limited. Mm. And so therefore you don't know what you don't know. And so they, they become more aware of the fact that I need to get to know all my learners. I need to be the one who finds out and uh, what what lived experience they bring. And it's that that I need to then relate to. Um, and when they do that, automatically they'll start to develop a pedagogy which we refer to as culturally responsive so you're bringing in their experiences and you're you're doing a, a literacy lesson around what they've experienced. Uh, I mean there's a, a a a lovely um academic, um Sarah Pierce, who wrote a fantastic book and she she she, she carried her, she, she she written a diary about her own experience of working in a multi-ethnic classroom. And she says, I didn't realise that my own identity was actually one of the barriers. She says, I would ask them, so what did you have for your tea tonight? And it was, you know, she would present them with, you know, shepherd's pie or fish supper or something. And she was now thinking, think the children aren't really responding. And she says, had I asked them, did you have a, a chapati or a curry? Mm. She would have seen more hands <laughs> up. And, and she said, I realised that actually um, I need to start connecting with and getting to know what their experiences mm. are so I can use them as my cultural references to teach and make those clear points. Um, and I think that that's what happens when when they um, become more aware, and they also become aware that when I'm not doing that, I am. It's I'm I'm replicating those inequalities, and I'm further marginalising the young people that I'm responsible for. Um, they they start that journey of becoming the anti-racist educator. And in research terms, you know, Tatum refers to white allies. Mm -hmm. And it's not somebody who's going to say that they're going to speak up for me as the other. It's somebody who's going to use that privilege to be able to then transform the learning and teaching Mm -hmm. in their classrooms, but also for their fellow black colleagues Mm -hmm. who we know. and, And the report, the diversity report states that experience very subtle and covert and often overt Acts of racism in, in schools in Scotland.
0: A question we often ask people who in interview is if you had a magic wand, you could change something about Scottish education overnight. What, what would that be? What would you, oh, would you
1: do? My magic wand mm-hmm. um, would be that um, we have teachers who are equipped um, to to navigate those critical conversations mm-hmm. around any type of inequality. Mm-hmm but for me, particularly race, Um, because, you know, as I've said before, teachers have the power to make, you know, a child's life um, enjoyable um, in the classroom. Um, They also have the power to make a child's life a misery. Um, And so they have that, that power for a child to feel really confident in themselves, to be able to have their cultural identity validated and celebrated so my magic wand would be that every teacher in Scotland is um, a teacher who's an anti-racist educator.
0: I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to ask, Emma. Well,
1: I just
2: wondered about, you know, do you know this this target, this the 2030 target? Yes. <laughs> which is basically the, well, essentially double the number of BME teachers. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, like, if you think that we'll get there just by doing what we're doing just now, or if you know, if are there specific things that we could do? I mean, I know that what you would probably say will be about nurturing the teachers that we do have and you know like, um and making sure that they feel supported and mentored.
1: Um are there other things that could be done or that we yeah. could be doing? So I think I know it's very easy. I think because I'm a teacher and because I'm a teacher educator, um I'm saying it's the teachers need to do this and the teachers need to do that, but actually they need to be supported by key stakeholders. And so in, in the diversity report that um, Rowena um, um, was published in November, in November 2018, we had a, a list of recommendations. And that involves a lot of stakeholders around, um, you know, um, so ITE, Education Scotland, GTCS. We all have a role to play um, in beginning to, to have those conversations about how can we promote... Um, the recruitment of BME teachers um, in, in Scotland and, and I know that Scottish Government are now busy trying to do some recruitment campaigns um, and I know that in, in the past they've tried to do it and then after all the conversations you need to have some black teachers in your recruitment campaign and then when you see the campaign come out every teacher is white and we get the gender diversity, we've not got the ethnic diversity and when you contact them say look What's happened to that conversation? So we couldn't find any. What? You couldn't find any? We should have just contacted them. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so, in Education Scotland, again, I'm in conversation with Education Scotland about looking at um, teacher professional leadership, uh, looking at in, um, into headship qualifications. So, I think everyone's got a part to play. Um, SAMI, the organisation that that I'm chair of, we work with young people. Um, So, young kids who are making career choices, um, uh, we we work with them to think about and um, consider teaching as a profession. We are also um, supporting our our BME teachers. So, we now are going to, we've we've launched actually in um, November last year, we launched the National Mentoring Network for Black and Minority Ethnic Teachers and um, so supporting them because that's so important because I go back to that very first question that we need to look at the conditions in which they currently exist because sometimes often that deters our young people to think about that as a career into that as a career absolutely but also a teacher I interviewed said I will never ever recommend teaching as a profession to a young black child and to me, that was a very sad right. day because I thought, and I was like, please, please, don't say that, don't say that. Um, and and so therefore we're working with our BME teachers to say, actually, we need more BME representation. What we need also is BME teachers and leadership roles. Mm. Um, because You mentioned into headship there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you know what those uh, figures are like at all the, for Ash, The figures for are, I think if you looked on the site, it, it comes down as negligible. You, I don't think there's a, a recorded figure because the numbers are so to, low, to my, not... in my own awareness, I think there's one black primary school head teacher, and um, I know of one deputy head um, BME teacher in a secondary school, and and that's just not good enough.
0: And there's a vicious circle, isn't there? The, Rowena Arshad, uh, that you've mentioned a few times, said to us previously that. Uh... That there's a lack of promotion prospects or perceived lack of promotion prospects, therefore, people aren't going for promotion. So, you can see the vicious circle there. How do we break out of that? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, it goes back to actually having Mm. conversations with our leaders in schools Mm. and the panels that we have when we interview um, people. Um, And and that's so then, so who's representative on that panel? Who's going to actually be able to recognise that this? Um, teacher from a diverse cultural background will have loads of cultural and linguistic capital to bring that we should be able to capitalize on uh, particularly if your school is a very diverse school um, and oftentimes we don't have those people represented on the panel I mean I know that I'm aware that there was a, a short-term working group or committee put up put together to look at career progression for teachers and when I asked the question so what's your makeup? Of the committee members, and there was not one member from a BME background. So you're 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 deciding about career progression for teachers in Scotland. And this is
2: all about worries that there's not enough routes for promotion. A it?
1: black member in that yeah. committee that worries me, um, and and that's broader, isn't it? Because if you look at our public boards, we don't have BME representation mm. on public boards. Um, so so yeah, so there's so, so wider implications there in terms of that. And we're doing some work with with BME teachers about getting them more engaged in those public boards so they have that voice coming through. But panels, so interview panels need to be diverse. Um, we need to have um head teachers who recognise that actually um or or even tease out, draw out those fantastic, that cultural wealth of knowledge that BME teachers can bring with them that have perhaps otherwise been Pushed to the to the background or silenced, um, and recognise that that actually is fantastic to have in a school where you're you're reaching out to to BME parents, mm-hmm. and parental engagement is a huge thing in Scottish education, and we know that we're not doing so well in that, mm-hmm. but where you've got teachers who represent those communities, that might also be another link to draw in mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. So,
0: we have uh, so we've, we have what's become bit of a traditional way of rounding off podcasts. Before we get to that, was there anything else you wanted to ask about? Him no, no, you? no. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. So um, we like to ask uh, what if you have a favourite fictional teacher.
1: Um, do you know, I, I first, when I, I was thinking about this, I thought, mm, did I ever come across a teacher that I could relate to mm-hmm. in, a, in a fictional programme? But actually, as a young child, I grew up I was addicted to it. I used to watch Anne of Green Gables. Right, yeah. yeah? yeah. And Miss Stacy was the, okay. the teacher in the school. She'd come into the village and she was a bit radical and she was, you know, and, and also Anne suffered from a lot of um, abuse because of the colour of her hair. Mm-hmm. And so I could relate to Anne um, because of my own experience of being in school. My teacher's not getting my name right. And I was always the one that was singled out because I was a black child in the classroom. And so I related to Anne's experience of the frustration that she had. And then when Miss Stacy came in and she she absolutely tried to, to, to get this narrow-minded kind of approach that the village had, she was trying to tackle that head on and, and, and Anne just fell in love with this teacher. I thought, mmm, that's the kind of teacher we need in the classroom. <laughs> so for me, Miss Stacey from Anne of Green Gables. Great.
0: Well, thanks very much, Khadija. Um you've given us really uh, you know fascinating insight, um, some great stories and some absolutely brilliant practical advice. So thanks very much for your time. Well
1: thank you very much. I totally enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, thank you.